And as you know, we are all right. As we say goodbye to You Can't Handle This, the sermon series, and some people have have said what God has done in their life through that series. And it's, uh, it's a real blessing as, as the pastor to hear about how God moves. It's not anything I've said, but it's the way the Holy Spirit's translated those words. And oftentimes people come up to me and say, well, pastor, remember when you said this? And I can look through notes and notes and notes. And I say, you know what? I didn't say that. But if that's what you heard, that wasn't me. Um, that was the Holy Spirit working and, and telling you what you need to hear. We're launching into a brand new series today called Uncommon, as you can see on the screen. Uncommon. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the book of 1 Peter and see how God is calling us as Jesus followers to be uh, different from this world. Different or uncommon, not commonplace, things that you don't, what the world would normally see as ordinary or or common, how we're called to be uncommon or different. Um, what I want to do today is is give you the context first of the book of First Peter. Um, for those of you that don't know, or maybe some of you Sunday school attenders or or VBS students, does anybody know who wrote the book of First Peter? Go ahead. It is Peter. So a shocker. Peter wrote 1 Peter, spoiler. But that's not always the case in the Bible. It's not always that easy. It's not always that obvious. Uh, If you've ever read the book of Acts, do you know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, right. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Although the Apostle Paul is kind of the central figure in the book of Acts, but, but the doctor, Luke, wrote the book of Acts. So 1 Peter, though, was written by by Peter. And sometimes I, I, I know that you know, some of you Bible students know that Peter kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. And, and I, like, I, I just love Peter. Some of, some of his boldness really, really kind of gets me motivated. But, but Peter, when people think of Peter, and, and, and even the scripture, you know, they think of like an uneducated sort of common fisherman, right? It's one of the most common descriptions I hear about Peter is that he wasn't like former, formerly formally educated. He wasn't, you know, a, 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 a doctor by any means. He wasn't anything that might be higher ed. <laughs> Peter was sort of uh, uh, brash, maybe a, a little bit remedial at times, as most of the disciples were, that gives me hope. But Peter just wasn't a guy that was really formal, formerly, for, why can't I get it out? Formally educated. But you know what? Just because he wasn't educated in that way, it doesn't mean that he wasn't a sharp guy. I mean, Peter was sharp. Some of the sharpest people I've ever met never went to college. Some of the sharpest people and sharpest minds and and, and most talented people I've ever seen or met never went to higher education. So that's not to say that Peter needed that in his life to be a sharp guy. He was a sharp guy. He was a, he was a businessman. He was a fisherman that sold uh, sold fish. Um, he was a tremendous leader as we look up, look further into the scriptures. He was passionate, very passionate. He was bold. In fact, when you read his writings in First Peter, he deals with some incredible, actually weighty and heavy theological issues for a guy that didn't have much formal education. You know, and he's writing to a group of hurting Christian people, and he talks about things like foreknowledge and divine election and sanctification. He talks about obedience. talks about the blood of Christ. He talks about the Trinity. He talks about revelation. And two big themes that you'll see throughout this book over and over again, he talks about, first of all, the hope that we have in Christ. And he tells us that we are called to be different from this world. We're called to be uncommon. A little bit of context first, too. Uh, what's going on in the world? And, and talk about when this book was written, what was happening at the time, because it's important to understand and really kind of grasp uh, the meaning of what God wants, ha- wants for us and how he wants us to live through the reading of this book. Uh, 1 Peter was written somewhere between 60 and 65 A.D. 
We're not sure exactly, but that's right around then. And if anybody knows who was reigning and who was kind of the guy going through that time period, um, it was the reign of a very evil and corrupt man known as Nero. Nero, if you don't know much about Nero, not a really good guy, uh, to say the least. I'll paint a picture a little bit. This guy killed his mother. He killed his first wife and most likely killed his second wife. He was so twisted that history actually believes he burned down the city of Rome. And what we do know is that in July of 64 AD, this huge fire broke out and it burned for six days uncontrollably. And they couldn't put it out. And on the sixth day, they finally got it out. And then it reignited again, and it burned another three days. And history believes that Nero was the one responsible for starting this fire. Because he had this insatiable lust to build and, and, and sort of build his empire and, and make a physical structures that proved his power. And, and the Senate wouldn't let him build anymore. They said, no, no. So you know what he did? He just burned it down so that he could rebuild. Well, that didn't go well, and evidently when people started to blame him for burning Rome down, he decided to blame this little group of very passionate, already disliked or hated people known as the Christ ones, or Christians, Jesus followers. Nero decided to blame them. He said they did it, so this already persecuted group was persecuted brutally in this season, which Peter was writing this letter that gives you an idea what was going on around town when first Peter was written, when Peter penned this letter. Among other things that, that Nero did against Christians, how about this for just after breakfast time? He put animal skins on Christians. You know, it's like a dead animal. He puts the skin on the Christian and then locks them in a cage and unleashes a pack of wild dogs and watch them maul and destroy Christian people as he would sit there and sip and drink wine and watch this as entertainment. This guy was so sick he would take Christians. And you have to understand, these Christians were real people who loved their family, just like you. And what he would do, he's famous for this, infamous really, he would dip these people in hot wax, some of you have heard this, and he would put them on a tree, tie them to a tree, and then he would light them on fire, light the tree. And these people, these Christians, people like you and me who love their families and love God, he would light them on fire and they would be like human candles to light the night sky as he threw parties all around these suffering Christians. This was Nero. This was the context to which Peter was writing when he wrote the book that we're about to start reading. So that's sort of the context of what was going on in the world. A tough place for Christians, nonetheless. So who's this message for? It's really for two groups of people. It's for a group of people who are hurting right now. Who have questions that are unanswered. When you have a trial, you're enduring something difficult. It might be financial. It might be the loss of a job. It might be some kind of a health issue. It might be your children are moving in a direction that you don't want them to move in. It could be emotional. It could be an addiction. It could be any sort of a, a trial that you're going through. If you're going through a difficult time right now in your life, this message is for you. The second group of people would be for those who will one day go through a trial in their life. And that would be just about all of us. I like to say you're either coming out of a trial, you're in the middle of a trial, or you're going through a trial. So I always say like, hey, how's life going for you? Pretty good right now? Well, yeah, it actually is. Well, hold on. Because life happens and you're probably going to go through something. Because life can be difficult. If I'm saying the truth this morning, somebody say amen. Life can be difficult. No matter what you're going through, we want to hear from God in a way that would speak to us as we're hurting. And, and that's what the context of which we're going to start into this powerful book. 1 Peter chapter 1, if you have your Bibles and you're not already there. 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this. This is a letter from Peter. There's the clue as to who wrote the book. This is the letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Everybody say foreigners. Some of you may have a different translation, and this isn't about the uh, 70s group. It's about people living in this nothing, nobody. It's this thing on. Thank you. 
Their people are living in foreigners in the province, provinces of Pontus, Galatius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia. The Greek word that's translated as foreigners is translated in many ways, depending on what Bible version you have. But the word is translated as exiles. Anybody have exiles? Sojourners, aliens, strangers, or foreigners. It's all this same root word. It's, it's foreigners. In other words, people. Peter is saying that you need to understand and remember that this is not your home. We are foreigners. P- Peter says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in this world. This is not your home. You are a foreigner. You're a stranger. You're a sojourner. You're just passing through. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are a stranger to this world. You're a sojourner. You're an alien. This is not your final dwelling place. You're a heavenly creature serving a heavenly God passing through this temporary world. And we're headed to an eternal dwelling place, all right, where one day you will be with God. If this world is not your home, then you will be different. You will not be common in this world. You will be very uncommon if this world is not your home. And for those of us that are Christ followers, what does that mean? It means that you will have uncommon values than those around you. You will have uncommon morals than other people. You'll have uncommon belief, you'll have an uncommon belief system. You'll be as different. You'll, you'll be different as a parent. You'll be different as a dad. You'll be different as a mom. Different as a husband. You'll be different as a wife. You'll be different in a way that you raise your children. You'll be different the ways you relate to people. You'll be different in how you deal with someone who mistreats you. You'll be different in the way you invest your money. You'll be different in the way you spend your time. You will be uncommon. Why? Because this world's not your home. This world is not, you're, you're a foreigner. You're called to be uncommon. You're called to be different. In our message today, we're going to look at Peter, who's going to show us that if you're in the middle of a trial, because this world's not your home, you can have an uncommon kind of faith when you go through something incredibly difficult. And what I want to do today is look at the words of this very powerful book, and we're going to look at an uncommon faith in trials. An uncommon faith in trials. Now remember who Peter is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll go to verse 6 and 7 here in a moment. Uh, so flip over there. But it's, it's shocking when you would p- uh, hear these first words. Remember who the people he's writing to during the reign of Nero and all this stuff going on. Here's what Peter says. He says, so be truly glad. <laughs> well, that's easy for you to say, Peter. You know, we, we read those words in, in all the context that I just gave you. And Peter's saying, so be truly glad. What? Wait, what? Right? Anybody with me this morning? Like, what? Truly glad. And then he says, because there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure, endure many trials for a little while. In other words, God may, may not make these temporary trials go away. But there is wonderful joy ahead, the word says. He's going to show that these trials have a purpose. Verse 7, he says, These trials will show that your faith is what, church? Your faith is genuine. Now think about this. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. If there's such a thing as genuine faith, if Peter is, is speaking on this thing called genuine faith that will be revealed by these trials, track with me, then there, is, there must also be a false faith. And in sometimes in places around this country, if anybody's traveled just a little bit around this great land, it's easy sometimes to be a Christian, air quotes. Now, I believe some, many people would call themselves Christians, but they're not really at all. They kind of have this false faith. Peter says that these trials will show your faith is genuine. So there must also be a false faith. And it's my great fear that many people who sit in church on Sunday morning, even semi-regularly, believe that you're a Christian, but your faith is not genuine. If I can be that direct with the church this morning, I'd like to show you three different types of 
of false faith this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not much of a note taker, you can write this down. The first type of false faith I'd like to hit on this morning is one I would call inherited faith. This is what some of you might have in this room this morning or joining us online. An inherited faith. And it kind of goes like this. If we're talking, we might say that, well, mom was a Methodist and dad was a Baptist. And, and, you know, we went to church some. And then, you know, like, you know, my dad would take us on Easter and Christmas. And mom would dress us up. And, you know, some some would be called Creasters. They come on Christmas and Easter. little inside Christian joke there. We don't really call you Creasters. Yes, we do. But you you... But you would say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, so I must be a Christian. I'm not one of these other, I'm not Hindu, I'm not any, so I must be a Christian, right? Mom and Dad, Baptist, Methodist, we went to church some, we, we see crosses when we go to church. In some churches you don't see them, but in this church you always will see one. Um, but some churches you don't, but you know, we talk about Jesus, and I've, I've raised on this faith, and so that makes me a Christian, right? But it's not your faith. You would say, well, I'll tell you what, we, we went to church on Sunday and Wednesdays and we went to youth group as a child and, and I could, you know, say that there's a point in my life, you know, where that I've gotten to this far, but now, Lord, I now, now, Pastor, I've gotten to this point where I, I went through all this history. I went to youth group, went to Wednesday night, Sunday night. We kind of grew up in church. But now you're at a point in your, your life where you're saying, well, I'm not really sure. It was an inherited faith. Some of us are blessed, some of you, not us, I don't have this, but some of you are blessed with a heritage of faith throughout generations. I mean generations. I met some of you and some of your families, and I see that. What a blessing to have generations of Christians in your family. I mean, from from mom to grandma to great-grandma, you can go up ten generations, and everyone who came to church, everyone. But it's your, your, your inherited faith. You think, well, they all were, so that just makes me one, right? And that perhaps might be where some of you are. It's not a genuine faith, as Peter talks about. It's a false faith. It's not really yours. The next type would be a shallow faith. Shallow faith. Shallow faith. Jesus talked about it in a story he told in Matthew uh, in chapter 13. You can read it on your own. But he said a sower or a farmer went out to sow some seeds and to plant some seeds. And he, sa- he said some of these seeds took root. And a little, little, plant, little plant sprung up. But the roots didn't grow deep enough. It was shallow faith. So Jesus said, when the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, he said, and the love for things of this world came along, it choked out this little plant and it died. Why? Because the roots weren't deep. It was shallow. And again, that might be where some of you are this morning. A lot of us know that, you know, a lot of us know some people, not you guys. Not my church family. People you know. They would come to church for a little while. This isn't you guys. But you might know someone that's like this. You come to church, they come to church for a little while. And then they'll stop coming regularly, right? They'll miss a few Sundays here and there. And then a little bit more often. And then before long, they won't be in any church. And then they won't be even, you know, reading their Bible at all, getting fed. They'll be hurting, they end up afraid and maybe lost in some addiction or going down a path that you never would have seen, they never would have seen coming. And I'll tell you, there's no spiritual power in their life, there's no spiritual victory, and that is absolutely and completely true because I've seen it happen over and over and over again, and some of you have seen it happen as well in your family, people you know. And how do you, how do you rectify that? How do you get that from the shallow faith, that false faith, to a genuine faith? There's a few ways, but one way is get more involved. Get more involved. Come to everything you can. Be around the family of God. Sunday school opportunity. Sunday service. Wednesday night. A Bible study. Women's groups. Men's groups. SNL groups. Things that we do out here. Things that we do in the lot. Things that we do in the pavilion. Just get involved. Be around God's people. Volunteer. Sign up. Be a part. Get connected is what I'm saying. And you take a step forward in your faith by getting connected to the people of God. Step forward in faith before the enemy takes you out. If you have a shallow faith, you're vulnerable. That little plant that has no roots, 
littlest thing can come along and that thing's gone. If you have a shallow faith that doesn't have genuine faith, it's a false faith, take a step forward in faith for your faith before the devil takes you out. I don't want you in six months, I don't want the people you know in six months, you following? I don't want you in six months you know, fighting some addiction or your marriage is screwed up or, or your kids or, or you're hurting, you're doubting, you're far from God. I don't want you to be six months from now. Oh God, what happened? Pastor, what happened? You need the strength of God's people. You need that church family. You need people to come alongside to build you up. The word, I, I, the Bible is, is, is this thick for a reason. It's full of people. <laughs> Real people who've come alongside, who've set an example, who've, who've who joined in with the people around them and encouraged them in their faith. The Bible tells us to do that. We need the strength of God's people. We were created for community. Created for the one another's. Do a study sometime on the one another's in the scriptures. Look in the book of Acts and how they reacted with one another and how they, they provided and they shared with one another. Just just go down that road someday. We need one another. That's how we can go from having a shallow faith, a, a false faith, to having a real faith. A genuine faith is what Peter would say. This past week, if you caught the message last Sunday, uh, I said some pretty strong things and Sometimes we need to hear that, right? If, if God's saying it, then we need to hear it. And I haven't gotten this kind of reaction this past week for a while <laughs> with phone calls and texts and questions. And I haven't gotten that kind of reaction in a while. And I knew I struck a nerve. I must have struck a nerve. And that wasn't me that I don't think struck the nerve. I, I really think God's working and God was convicting and God was speaking. But I never got... That kind of, I haven't gotten that kind of reaction in a while. And I said some pretty strong stuff. And I, I quoted a scripture and I wanted to show it to you this week. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. That we are not to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging, there's the two words. One another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Near? No, it's there. It should be there. Encouraging one another folks we need each other church god's family god's gathering the gathering of christians believers church is not listening to a podcast that's not church church is not dare i say it watching a live stream that is not your church let me speak to the people who are joining us on the live stream today this is not church. What you're seeing on your screen is not church. Being with the people of God, encouraging one another, that's church. Church is not listening to a podcast or watching a live stream. Don't call me, and I'll probably lose half of my online audience right now. Don't call me this week or anytime or email me and say, Pastor, that's, you're my church. We're not your church. Find a local body of believers. They need you and you need them. You need to encourage one another. It's where we gather together corporately, right? To worship our God. We strengthen one another. We attack the world with the love of Jesus by being encouraged and empowered here in a body of believers. When you see people kneeling to pray, and you think, okay, well, and you all see that, you're encouraged by that. Oh, look, they went into, I wonder what's going on. Maybe I could talk to them and see what they're going through. Because you might be going through something similar. And then you kind of encourage one another as the day draws near. You hear a testimony from somebody. Somebody gets saved. Somebody has, has some kind of experience with God. And you think, if God did it for them, he'll do it for me. You need that. You need that interaction. We need one another encouraging one another. I hope I'm clear on that. He said, I will build my church. Jesus died. Read the scripture. This matters to God. 
Jesus died for the church. He's returning for the church. He said, I will build my church. The church matters to Jesus and it matters to us. We're not going to have a shallow faith get connected, deeply rooted. The last kind of false faith that I would share with you is conditional faith. And this one's pretty obvious. Those who would say, yeah, I believe in God. I'm a believer. I I love God. I, I love Him. I know God. And I believe in God as long as things go my way. As long as everything's cool. I got the faith to believe, you know. Woo! As long as you're on that mountaintop, God, I'm all in. You and me, God. It's an old, it's an old song called Me and God. You ever hear it? It's like a southern gospel. No? Y'all don't know southern gospel here? All right. We've got to help them, Randy. Me and God. That's okay, Lord, just me and you. Let's go, let's go through this life together. Things are going well. And then something happens. And then you think, what? Then you got that accusative, right? Pointing the finger at God. Why, God, if you're good? Why, God, if you love me? Why, God, would you let this happen? Why, how can I believe in a God who would let the bad things in this world happen? That's called conditional faith. Read the scripture. There are some bad things that happen to the people of God. It's a false faith. There are those that would have a false faith. And I believe that God brought you here this morning, not by accident, that he wants to change that into a genuine faith. Trials can reveal the depth of your faith. If you're going through a difficult time, and some of you would say, you know, that your faith is being tested right now, uh, how is it that God uses our trials? There's a couple ways. Why do we go through things, and how is our faith? Maybe we have one of those three false faiths, or maybe we have a good, strong faith. But why do we go through trials? I'll, I'll just touch on a few things. How does God use our trials? First of all, our trials reveal our faith. We're looking at First Peter. Look at verse 7. He says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. I like to say it this way. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. I'll say it again. A faith that has been tested, right, is a faith that can be trusted. It's one that can be trusted. In fact, that was Peter. Peter was tested, right? He even failed. Failed pretty miserably. He was, But you know what? He was... He was tested and failed. He he was strengthened, regrouped, redeemed, and made new. He was completely transformed. In fact, let me show you, maybe back about 25 years prior to Peter writing this book, we go back a couple decades, and he had this conversation with Jesus. And it's in Luke's gospel, right? Writer Writer of Luke's gospel was who? Right. You guys are paying attention. But in Luke's gospel, Peter had a conversation with Jesus, and it went something like this. Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, this is Simon Peter, and we can go into why they call him Simon Peter and not just Peter and all that. But Simon Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. In other words, Satan wants to test you. He wants to see what you're made of. He wants to sift you out. Let's let's see what this Christian is like, this Peter. Don't ever think for a moment that your spiritual enemy is not scheming something to take you away from the things of God. He is trying. He is trying. Don't ever think for a moment that he's not attacking. The closer you get to God, the closer you seek out the things of God, the harder that enemy is going to fight you. Just be ready for that. Get around other believers, get around Christians, and be strengthened by them. We need what? One another. But he wants to test you. Peter, what are you made of? Jesus says in verse 32, he says this. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Some translations may not fail. Trials reveal your faith. And when you've turned back, when you've repented and turned to me again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Perfect example of, yes, Peter, when you go through these things... Fear not, Peter, I have prayed for you, so that when you do turn back, you can strengthen your brothers. We need one another. There's the proof. It's right there in the scripture. He's saying, Peter, now that you've gotten through with my help, strengthen your brothers. 
Remember the early years, Peter's, Peter was kind of an obnoxious. I mean, he was very inconsistent. He was hot-headed. He was rash. And in the later years, what was he? Incredibly bold, tenacious as a believer, full of faith. What happened? God used these trials that Peter went through to strengthen him. Remember one of the big trials when Peter, always shooting off at the mouth, he said one time to Jesus, Hey, if all these other loser disciples will will deny you, not me. Remember that? I'm your guy, Jesus, not me. I will never leave you, Lord. I will never forsake you. John, can't trust him. I'm your guy. You can trust me. Then what happened? Not one time, not two times, three times. Peter denied Jesus. One time it was a little schoolgirl. Do you know Jesus? Peter, never heard of him. A second grade girl with a princess lunchbox comes up to Peter and says, Do you know Jesus? I never knew the man. I've never met him. And then he sees the eye of the eyes of Jesus. Remember reading this in the scripture, and his heart is just ripped, and Jesus brutally dies on the cross for Peter's sins and for our sins. Three days later, the stones roll away, the tomb is empty, Christ is risen. And in John 21, you see this meaningful encounter between the risen Christ and good old Peter. And Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Three times he asks him, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And he gives him an assignment, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I love you. Restoration, now go and strengthen your brothers. Feed my sheep. Peter, the guy who, who really messed it up, was the guest preacher on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were born into the kingdom of God. What happened? God used the trials to strengthen Peter's faith, to change him into who he was becoming. Trials can reveal and strengthen your faith. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, said this in James 1-2. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy. If you're in a trial, you can count it all as joy, because you know the testing of your faith, he says, produces perseverance. In other words, God's going to use it. God's going to do something in that trial. If you're racked with pain right now, I hope you'll understand that there is a purpose in your pain. God will never waste it. He's always working on you. Always. He's for you. Remember we said that earlier. He's for you. He loves you. And God is good. And all the time, we are bringing that back. Trials can reveal your faith. And trials can also draw you closer to God. Trials can draw you closer to God. First Peter. You love him even though you have never seen him. Huh. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 tells us this directly, and I want you to watch the power of this language. The imagery that Peter uses here, he says that, he says that you love God even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him right now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Remember who he's writing to, right? He's writing to people that maybe their neighbor or cousin or loved one just got burned as a human candle the night before. This is how dark this time in history is. And he says, hey, you, rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. A joy that can only come from heaven. A joy which we do not have words in our human vocabulary to adequately describe here. It's a heavenly emotion that settles our soul, calms our mind, and gives us a peace beyond our human ability to understand. He says, even though you're grieving, even though, even though you're hurting, even though you're afraid, even though it's dark, it's a dark time, even though they might be coming to get you next, you can still have this glorious and inexpressible joy. And then he says in verse 9, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Why do we go through trials? Well, your trials will strengthen you and get you closer to God, the, re- the reward for trusting God through it all will be the salvation of your souls. Folks, that's what we call the gospel. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is. 
And what I hope you'll understand this morning is that the good news is not not that God saves us from our trials. That is not the good news. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. And somebody better help me out at this point this morning because this is really good news. God saves us, not from our trials, but from our sins. God never said, I will deliver you from all your troubles. He never said that you won't have migraine headaches. He never said you won't have financial issues and difficulties. He never said you wouldn't have that person at work that just drives you and you want to just lose it. He never said any of that. In fact, Jesus said the exact opposite in John 16. He said, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome this world. The good news is not that he saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves our souls and forgives us our sin. Folks, that's the best news of all time. Then someone would say, someone would say, but pastor, I, with these trials you're talking about, pastor, what, what do you do with the verse that says God will never give you more than you can handle? Hold on. It's not in there. That's actually a misinterpretation of a verse that probably said, probably the misinterpretation of the verse that God said that he will, he will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But I find the Bible never ever says that God won't give you more than you can handle. And I'm absolutely convinced this morning, church, that God will often allow you to have more than you can handle because it teaches that you can depend on him. It, it reveals your utter need for him. When you're hurting, you draw close to Him. When you're going through a trial, you draw closer to Him. When you're desperate, you call on Him. Because let's be honest, for those with a false faith, the moments that life is going good, going well, you really don't need Him. If you have one of those false faiths, like an inherited faith or a shallow faith, or a conditional faith, if things are going really well, you really don't. Things are going well. But I am convinced that there are times when God will allow you to be weak because in your weakness, His strength is made perfect, the Word says. God will allow you to get to a place where you're so low and all you can do is look up to Him and you will find Him and He will be good. And when you press into Him, you, can, you too can experience this glorious and inexpressible joy that First Peter is telling us about. Uncommon. We're called to be different. In this world, you'll have to be a little bit different. You'll have to be a little bit uncommon. And I hope this is connected with some people this morning. And what I want you to understand as we close is our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who God is. Our faith is not in what we see. The Word just told us that. Our faith is in who God is. And at the same time, we hurt because it's real. And at the same time, we have human fears because we are human. We have supernatural faith in the goodness of God. And what I want you to understand is that we can have in our house, in God's house, as a community of believers, when we all need each other, we can all agree with that because that's what the Word just told us. We can experience a glorious inexpressible joy that can only come from heaven. So if you're here this morning and you're hurting, if you're joining us this morning and you're hurting, you're here this morning not by accident. You're here this morning because God loves you. Take a step toward Him this morning. Scripture says when you, are, when you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. And God loves you so much that he brought you here this morning to help you understand that you are not experiencing trials because you're, you're an awful person or you did something bad or, or did something wrong. But he can actually use the trial you're going through to strengthen you. To conform you to the image of his son. And, and you may never be the same from this day going forward. As you trust in him. The world out there, those without Christ, who we would call the unbelievers, the world, oftentimes puts their trust in a very common false faith. He's calling you this morning to be uncommon.
we talked a little bit about this legacy of faith that some people are privileged to have. You can look back in the, in the history books and the family trees and the ancestries and all that and see preacher, 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 missionary, all these things. Some people have that blessing and you ought to thank God for that. And you may be the next one on that family tree that says, I believe. Or you may be the first one in generations that God is reaching. And you surrender to him and you say, wow, look at that family tree. Some of those branches are pretty gnarly. But then you look and you see yourself and your family and maybe your children and you think, there's a whole new green branch over here because one person decided in that family of jacked up branches that are all gnarly, one person made a stand and said, you know what? I'm going to trust God. You might be that one. You may not know anything about your family tree. You may feel very alone. I think I have no one. I have no history. I have nothing. Good news. You got a friend that wants to reach out to you and his name is Jesus. And then you have a church family. We need one another. You have a church family that wants to come around you and be your new family. Wherever you find yourself on that journey of through life, I know one thing, that God is not having you hear this message this morning by accident. He is reaching out. He is calling you to be uncommon. Would you stand this morning? We're going to close. Remember the days when we used to close with a song? (laughs) We're going to close with a song that I thought very appropriate for the end of this message. Refiner's Fire, the words will be on the screen. If you know it, sing along. If you don't know it, listen to the words. God is calling out that you would not be the same. Why are you going through a trial? I don't know why. But I do know if you know God, he's going to bring you through. And you can get closer to him through that trial. Let's sing this song together. The words will be on the screen. And let's sing this song together this morning. If you know it, sing it loud. If you don't, help each other that don't know it. Go ahead, Randy. Here we go. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. And precious silver, purify my heart. Let me be as gold, pure gold. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy. Set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy. Set apart for you, my master. Ready to do your will. Here we go. Purify my Cleanse me from within and make me holy. Purify my heart. Cleanse me from my sin. Deep within, refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy set apart for you Lord 
I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Why are you going through what you're going through? I don't know. But God knows. And he will refine you through the fire. Will you choose him? Don't walk through it alone. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. No distractions. Everyone's saying, God, what are you saying to me this morning? Holy Spirit, how will you translate what I've heard this morning? And how will I react? How will I respond to this message? Many of you going through something right now, we're all going through a lot together. As a nation, as a world, we're all going through a lot of stuff. Why are we going through it? Why are we going through these trials? God, I don't understand. Uh, God, why, why, why? God is good. And all the time, God is good. And as we read this morning in His Word, and we've heard from the Holy Spirit who translates that Word to our own hearts, He is reaching out through this trial and wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you starting today. Don't leave here the same as you came in. If you're going through something, don't go through it alone. So as we stand here together as a family, we need one another. Saints, pray. Join us in this time of prayer. Everyone, just bow your heads, close your eyes, seek His face. You say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this trial. God, I don't know why you've intersected time and space and had me come to this place, had me hear these words. I don't know, Lord. But what I do know is I don't want to go through it alone. I don't want to go through it in my own strength, God. I need to go through this with your help. God, I need you. God, I hear you calling to me. Refine me, Lord. Forgive me for running for so long. God, I'm ready to receive what you have for me. As we continue in prayer this morning, I wonder if that's you. You've been going through stuff, something for a little while. trying your best to get through it on your own and as we reflect and as we take inventory of our own lives you've been going through some stuff how's that going for you And if that's you this morning and you're and you're standing here this morning in the presence of God and your family and friends, And you say, Pastor, I've heard the message. I've heard what you said. I heard the words that are in the word of God. More importantly, Pastor, I'm hearing what God is saying to my heart. And I realize this morning, if this is you this morning, you're saying, I realize, Pastor, that God is reaching out to me. It's all around me. How could I not see it? That God is for me. And reaching out and wants a relationship with me. If that's you this morning and you're ready for that relationship with God. You're ready for His wisdom. His guidance. His refining. His correction. If that's you this morning, no one's going to judge you or no one's looking around. But we'll pray for you. Just say, Pastor, that's me. Just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, that's me. I surrender. I want the refining fire of God. And I need it now. I don't want to walk out of here the same as I came in. That's me. Just give me an indication. Say, Pastor, that's me. Hey, that's me. I need him this morning. I know that I know that I know he's speaking to my heart. And I need him.
Holy Spirit of God this morning as we are standing in your presence. God, would you break down walls? God, would you provide clarity for those who need it? God, we thank you for meeting us here this morning. As we depart from this place, Lord, may we not depart from your presence. Work in our lives, Lord. May we have an uncommon kind of faith. Not a shallow faith. Not an inherited faith that doesn't work. Not a conditional faith that we can't rely on. Not a shallow faith. But God, a faith that endures. A genuine faith, as your word says. So that God, when we face trials, we might be able to face them with you on our side. God, we wouldn't have to fight them alone. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us. Thank you, Lord, for revealing what you had to reveal in your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, we would take these words with us. And we would be able to shine your light in a very dark world. That, Lord, people might look to us as they did Peter. And we might have a testimony to say to the world, look what God did for me. So that when we go out and we, we, we would be able to encourage our brothers, as the word says, encourage one another. Help us, Lord, to not get caught up in the division of this world. It seems to be all around us, Lord. A few words we speak and we could be in an argument in, a, in the, at the drop of a hat. God, take us from that. Work on our hearts, Lord, that we would be encouragers that we would speak words of life and not words that tear people down, but words that would build people up. Help us, Lord, as your people to stay out of the division in this world and bring one another into unity in the faith so that people, as your word says, would know that we love one another, would know you because of the love we show one another. Father, we thank you in advance for what you're about to do in this place and through these people because of the word that you've imparted in our hearts, even this morning. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. God bless you.